No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. They're giving us a real show today. That they are. They're giving us a real show today. They're ready, we're ready. would you charge a dutch couple to have sex in your uh tragedy room <laughs> wait i don't have to be paying for that <laughs> well hold on let me <laughs> let me <laughs> uh for context in this situation am i spending a eleven hundred dollars a week on a horse that i'm immediately sacrificing for an audience of like 15 people <laughs> Because that might affect how much I can afford. That's true. <laughs> also, how did you know that I called my bedroom my tragedy museum? This <laughs> <laughs> is a private diary thought. I think it's a safe assumption. Uh, welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. We're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Gordy, a.k.a. the Chimp of Knowledge. And I'm Bardo. And today we're talking about 2022's Nope. Uh, next week, get ready. I always oh. say next week and we don't come out every week. It's a it's a personal problem. Yeah. Uh, we are covering King Kong Lives, the 1986 sequel to the 1976 film King Kong, which we already covered. So if you haven't listened to that one, you should check it out to be prepared. And yet again, this is a major kaiju movie that neither of you have seen, right? No. no, and by man. major, oh. you mean majorly good? <laughs> I'm very excited. It's a, it's a motion picture for sure. It's a film. I feel confident that I'm going to walk away with the from this like less distressed than I walked walked away from King Kong, which I still like. That's carry, a safe bet. I still carry with it, me. It's the same director, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Yeah. They can't possibly do that movie again. <laughs> Oh, maybe they can. Yeah. I don't know. The general consensus is that the original remake is far better than this film, but most people didn't understand the psychic evil of that film, so the world has it upside down, I think. I agree. Um, like everything else. Yes, right? Thank you. It's a meta- the, the reason they put these movies out is so we could have a metaphor for the modern dilemma. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um Charlie, yours is the pick after that. Do we get to know yet yes. what we're watching? Yes. yes. I've been dying to tell you. So as we all know, this is a movie that's been in my possible rotation for a while. And as we all know, Twitter was recently renamed X, uh, which got me <laughs> thinking, you know, X-Files, Aliens. Is that the theme? Something uh, like that. You got it. Um, so Perfect. I am going with the 1983 video nasty classic Extra. That's the X-T-R-O Extra? Yes. Are either of you familiar with this? Another film I've just like never heard of. You just keep Ooh. walloping me with these movies that are <laughs> completely um, foreign to me. You are 
Looked spooky. Either in for a treat or in for um Roger Ebert famously like called this movie like super depressing and evil and he hated it and didn't think it should be made. Um <laughs> but people with good taste love it. <laughs> Plus everyone knows our views of Roger Ebert on this podcast, so um, that's fine. That's an endorsement. Like I said, it's it's a video nasty. It was a section three video nasty, which is like one of the not as bad video nasties. So the what's a video yeah, nasty? What does this mean? You guys don't know what video nasties are. That was um in England. It was like a censorship laws of uh, horror and exploitation movies, where they had a list of movies. There's like section one, section two, and section three. Section one, they could like if you're caught uh, distributing those movies, you could be uh, fined or jailed, um, prosecuted. Like I think your shop like shut down. Section Section three, you're you're just shamed. Section three, they can seize the movie, but I don't think you can be fined or uh, pros or uh, jailed for it. So you're you're really, as we like to do on here, alienating our British listeners. It's an alien movie. Oh, it's an alien movie. Perfect. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. I'm looking forward to two wild movies in a row. Yeah. Fuck yeah. But that's not what we're doing right now, folks. Right now we're talking mm -hmm. about Nope. Charlie, I've been waiting patiently all week for this. Can you tell us what this movie is about? Oh, I'm going to let you down. I don't want to let you down. You never do. I'm going to let you down. Um, <laughs> it's never happened. <laughs> Strange things are afoot in the deserts of California. An eternally constant truth. What I told you at this time is an otherworldly strange thing. A UFO from the famous outer space is dropping blood and pocket contents all over a horsey section of the desert. The owner of a western-themed park, not learning lessons he was brutally taught by a chimpanzee in his childhood, is attempting to tame the UFO by offering it horses on the reg. The nearby horse ranching siblings, Emerald and OJ, who recently lost their father, Keith Otis David, to deadly falling change, have now learned the cause of the death and have decided to try to get the perfect shot of the UFO to exploit for fame and profit. In the process, they learn that the UFO is actually a living creature. But this living creature ain't no horse. No, it's more like a chimpanzee with a balloon weakness. It's Nope, baby! Hell yeah. Uh, before we get into it, uh, I want to mention one of my references. I listen to, uh, I reference them a lot. One of my favorite kaiju podcasts, Kaiju Transmissions. Their November 27, 2022 episode on Nope was really good. And I'm sure they covered things that we're not going to cover. So y'all should listen to that episode too. It's great. Um, I also listen to that podcast. I also listen to... Uh... Hell yeah. Weakman at Bergman's um, Nope versus Signs uh, episode, which, um, yeah, I don't know if I'll be drawing anything from those two podcasts, but um, I think they, they could seep in. I did go to Joshua Blubwa's blog to uh, get a, a little bit of uh, background information on one of the flying saucer guys that I'm going to talk about and that the sounded the like uh, was, I think Wikipedia, like John Loblaw's Loblaw, yeah, or whatever. Loblaws, <laughs> B L U. It's Joshua B L U B U H. 
which it, I assume is blah, blah, but I don't know. Sorry if you're listening, Joshua. Blah, blah. <laughs> I thought you I said blue. No harm. I thought you said blue blood. Um, so I thought it was either. Super fancy blogger, old money. <laughs> oh, I thought either a, a cop person or um, a, a fan blog of the show Blue Bloods. Is that what's mm. called? Blue blood? Blue bloods? Or both. It could be both, yeah. Oh man, maybe we should call right, that well, show. No, <laughs> it's like three generations of cops in a family, or something like that. No, I don't know, it could be fun. No. <laughs> All right. Well, this was my pick, so I'm going to start with my general uh, general feelings. Um, so I really like Jordan Peele's movies. I uh, was excited to go see this in theaters. I wasn't like super stoked. I don't know why by the present uh, premise, but I was pretty stoked, and I liked it. I I liked it quite a bit, but I wasn't sure. Like, I feel like this movie is really fun. It's really beautiful. It's shot really well. It has good music. The acting is all really sick. But I definitely walked out of the theater being like, I feel like there's more to this movie. and It's not sinking in. And then um, I was with my partner and we drove home and we had like an awesome conversation about it on the drive home, which is like my perfect movie experience. I love having like a little bit missing. And then so you get to have a great conversation afterwards. Fucking great. So that was an awesome experience, but I didn't like it didn't like sit with me. Um, And then rewatching it. Oh, man, I fucking love this movie. It's really fucking good. I I don't know. I don't know. There's things people say are scary in this movie that I don't, I never found scary, mm-hmm. but I can see why people find them distressing or scary. But it's just, it's like a weird, I don't know. We don't get movies like this anymore, I feel like, where it's just like a one off, interesting sci fi thing that's well made and has some cool ideas in it, which is great. But I also think there's a ton of like, kaiju connections in this movie ton of like paranormal and ufo connections and then some really cool ideas about like politics and society that i'm stoked to get into so i'm i'm friggin stoked on this in this movie uh but yeah what i know this jordan peele's like he's so hot right now but he's also like people are really mixed on a lot of his movies some people really seem to hate this movie some people really like it some people in the middle where y'all at i've always liked jordan peele i I mean i guess i I, I, I like Get Out when it came out. Um, I, I liked it a lot, but uh, I've never really gotten... There's so many people are like, oh, that's one of the best horror movies ever. And those people are like, are you that big of a horror fan? Like, I think it's a really good movie, but that just seems crazy to me. Um, Us, I was pretty mad on. Um, and then Nope, it was immediately my favorite of the three. Although I, I up until this week, I hadn't rewatched any of them since seeing them in theaters. But yeah, Nope was is definitely my favorite of the three so far. Who knows? Maybe rewatching Get Out that'll change. But yeah, I, I thought it was a great concept. I think he it's uh, executed wonderful. It's just it was a fantastic movie to see in theater on the big screen, especially um, I think more so than his other movies because it's well, it's focused around a big. Big ass kaiju, uh, totally. and yeah, I think it's a beautiful, well constructed movie. Um, and I'm excited where he goes next. This one, I don't really think, despite being in the horror genre, I don't really think it was supposed to be really a scary movie. So I, I thought find it really weird when I hear people say it was scary. Like there were some distressing elements about it, but it didn't really feel like he was trying to make much of a horror movie. Just kind of working within that genre, um, but not necessarily trying to be scary. Uh, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. And I still like it a lot. I love to get out. I also don't think it's like one of the best horror movies of all time, but I do think it's one of the better horror comedies of all time. Like it, it, it does that better than like, you know, like cabin in the woods that sort of came out. That was similar. Those were kind of felt like people were having conversations about. Those. Oh, I definitely prefer it to cabin in the woods. Um, but, um, so- I loved us. I thought us was fucking awesome. And so I was really excited when I was like, Jordan is making a UFO movie. I love UFO movies. Most UFO movies are fucking terrible. Uh, I did not see it in theaters, which I really regret. I wish I had seen it in theaters. And the first time I watched it, I thought this is probably one of the better movies that came out this year, but I didn't think of it as like exceptional compared to Us and Get Out. This watch uh, really shifted things for me. I thought it was a really cool, really cool movie. I agree. It's not really a horror movie. There were like elements in there that had horror um, in them. I mean, it was a uh, it was a fourteen thriller, is what I would what I would call it. Um, you know, I I will say though the the first time I watched this movie, the little the little kids dressed up as aliens. Yeah, yeah that's the one scary part, in my opinion. <laughs> that scared the piss out of me. That terrified <laughs> the, the, me. <laughs> same. That was by far the scariest part to me, which is funny because on a rewatch, not scary at all. But in the in the mm. first time, I was terrified. The parts I hear people talk about are some people have described the chimp scenes as like one of the things that's horrified them, especially after. And then a lot of people say the the close up of the people in the body um, and just the like when you realize that the sounds that it's making flying by are alive people screaming is horrifying to them. I think it's super cool and a gnarly concept, but mm-hmm. it didn't scare me. Yeah, I, I think it's. It's overall unsettling ideas, but nothing that's just like really scaring me. Um, I'm glad you were scared of the kids too. I was terrified of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're fucking, that was so, I mean, that's also like one of those things that I'm just like scared of and have been scared of since I'm like little aliens. That's like a thing that gets under my skin. I don't know what it is. There was, I actually, I do know what it is. There was, I remember, I didn't watch X Files when I was a little kid, but I do remember watching like this week on the X Files. And, um, oh shit. And it was, it's one of my favorite episodes of the X Files now. It's the one, um, where they are tripping balls on the giant mushroom, um, that's hiding, that's underground. And, in Scully's hallucination, I think Mulder captures like a little gray alien. But in the preview, they just like have this little gray alien kind of like peeking around a corner, and that like cut right to the core of like six year old or seven year old me or whatever it was, uh, and became like the thing that like when I was mm. down in the basement for until I was a teen later, I was like ready for that to be peeking behind a corner or something. So that is like, totally. just like a thing that those little kids scared the piss out of me. <laughs> the first time I saw it, there's something about 
the way, like the part where it's the corner and you're staring at the corner waiting for the alien to come out. And you just think it's going to move kind of human-like. So you're like, you're like eyes are fixed on the corner and its head slowly comes out, but not enough for its eyes to be coming out. But it, because of that, it takes, at least for me, my brain to register. It takes a minute for my brain to register. And then it, you suddenly realize the head's like been slowly moving out and it fucking gets me, man. Yeah. Some and, and the, creepy movements. The weird wiggles that they do and the really, I mean, but that's like what Jordan is really good at. Mr. Peel is really good at directing things like that. Like, um, it reminded me that whole scene reminded me of the sequence at the end of us, you know, just like people moving in this, in this really distinct way that is like kind of unsettling. Um, totally. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why, if that actually makes sense, those, those two scenes, but they like remind me of one another that, that dance. It does to me for sure. It's like, a little bit, uh, not what's the word I'm looking for. It's not uncanny valley. It's just a little wrong. It is. Uncanny. It's a little. I would have used the yeah. word uncanny. That's what I was going for. Uncanny's fine. Uncanny valley. It doesn't quite fit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, where do y'all want to get started talking about? I don't know. What's on your minds? What do y'all like about this? What do you What do you feel like going into? The thing that I felt about this movie the first time, and I still feel sort of about this movie is that there are a lot of ideas in it. There's yeah. like and and some of them I'm I don't know if they all wrangle together into like a hole and there's like a little bow that gets tied on them like you know there's like ideas of legitimacy and like what that is and there's ideas of like legacy and there's ideas of controlling nature and the banality of tragedy and like there's like all this stuff and some of them like get bowed a little bit and some of them don't but i think they're all kind of worth exploring and i think some of them if we like talk through it that things that i don't necessarily think found a home at the end of it maybe they will but we can tell yeah. any of those uh <sighs> Those were all those were all deep and good. I I mean let's do let's do the nature one because I feel like this is a big glowing sticking out one is like trying to, you know, exploit or use nature or animals. Like that's just, you know, the chapter names, right? Are like Ghost, Clover, Gordy, Lucky, Jean Jacket. Like he's trying really hard to make sure that you see that the chimp and the horses and the big UFO are all kind of having similar things happen to them right yeah um it kind of blows my mind that like i i've heard a lot of people say that they don't understand why the chimp stuff is in here and i'm like i get that if you're not thinking about it at all but it's so in here and it's the first thing you see that like maybe you gotta think about why it's i don't know it's just like it feel almost feel like he's hitting us over the head with it yeah um I, I had that problem my first watch through. Like, I didn't connect. What's his? It's it's Ricky Jupe Park? Yeah, Jupe is the name he goes by most of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I didn't really, in my mind, the first time I watched this, I don't know how I missed it because you're right. They're just, like, throwing it in your face. But that he was doing the same thing uh, with his UFO show that 
they were trying to do with Gordy the monkey. And of course, it's going to end in tragedy because you can't. I, I want to clarify, I didn't either. But I knew that he must be doing something, so I didn't hold... Like, I think a lot of people hold it against the movie. Why is there this random thing? Whereas I left being like, what am I missing? And it is really obvious when you get it, but it's there. there is something about it where I had the same experience. It took me talking through it. Yeah, um, Yeah, and then uh, there, there's the speech that... Um, I mean, they mention a few other things like uh, Siegfried and Roy is mentioned right. and um, the the documentary that Antlers is working on in, um, in his house is uh, the, the cinematographer is like a big cat and a snake, I think, fighting like tons of stuff or animal exploitation. And OJ has that uh, line. It's like a speech towards the end where he says, you don't turn your back on a bear. You don't wear red around a bull. It's like that. You don't look at him unless you want his attention. Now, we ain't got a lot of time. Goes through like why they got to do this. But um, uh, then they're t- he's talking about Gene Jack. He says, he's big, he's bad, and he's got a lot of spirit, but anything with spirit can get broke. Um, which, yeah, there's he really wanted us to to do that. But I feel like this movie does have so much spectacle and so many ideas going on that you can miss some major themes for sure. I mean, I guess probably why I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I noticed it the second time. It's because when you're watching Jupe feed the UFO horses, you don't know it's like a creature yet. Yeah. So it's hard to like, you're not like thinking like, Oh, it's just like the chimp that killed everybody. Uh, But yeah, I mean, there, but it is like, I don't know exactly, this is one of those things where I'm not like exactly sure what the film, I guess his, his horse training business is going very badly. So I guess he's not, they're not at any point making the claim that like, well, if you do it right, you can like harness nature for entertainment necessarily but i mean that's a good point i i don't feel any negative stuff really i hadn't thought of this but like i don't maybe it is critiquing using the horses like i don't think he's critiquing the haywood hollywood people but i do think it's critiquing you know like the horse on that hollywood set is not being treated like a horse it's being treated like anything like they don't care about the safety rules they don't care they're gonna scare it and so I think it's it's more of a critique of our continual uh, exploitation of nature and animals, despite the signs that it's bad, right. um, especially with Jupe, because it's such a complex thing. But the fact that Jupe is uh, the one continuing this because he has like this survivor bias where instead of you said he learned the wrong lesson or something like that, Charlie, in your synopsis. And yeah, instead of thinking holy shit, it's horrible that we exploited this chimp. Of course he went apeshit. He thinks, I'm the one that got the fist bump. I'm like the special one. Like, I think with this having so many themes, it's hard to talk about one in isolation because so much is tied in with Jupe and that relationship. But he's like, I almost feel like it broke him. He's a child actor. This is his perception of the world where now he's like, instead of learning, this is fucked up, we should stop exploiting people, stop exploiting animals. He thinks oh, this is just how it is. This is how you make money. And so he perpetuates it and he shoves his trauma down, you know? Well, yeah, he was a child actor. He was being exploited by exactly exploiting a chimpanzee. Um, you also brought up how they don't care about the horse or 
the safety things while on set, and they're just kind of ignore them. Like they're also just don't care about uh, OJ and just completely ignore him and anything he has to say as a package deal. Yep. Where you're here, the horse is here, so uh, just uh, you're a wrangler, just handle it, and everything will be fine. We can do whatever we want, and uh, it's all under control because that's what you're hired to do. So just we'll do whatever we want, and you deal with it. That's and what we expect to be. Totally. He's also asked to perform and like be, uh, yep. you know, which is makes him very uncomfortable. Just like the horse is uncomfortable. Just like the chimp is uncomfortable. Just like the, I don't know if the UFO is, we call that uncomfortable. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but you know, doesn't like the situation as it's, as it's, it's uh, been involved. It, it's in a jean jacket in the uh, California desert. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean the way that the the like show business is shown is everybody sucks and they're treating like they're literally talking loudly in front of OJ saying like, Oh shit, we just got the sun, god damn it. Like yeah. mm-hmm. treating them like total shit and then discarding them at the first sign that like you're the trainer of the horse. They're supposed to listen to you. They don't listen to you, so the horse does the wrong thing, and you get fired. They yeah. should be fired. Like they, like they, it's backwards. Right. It's just mm-hmm. they. But the the square peg of the horse doesn't fit in the round hole of doing a quick green screen commercial anymore yeah. or whatever. Yeah, in their minds, we put down the money to hire a horse wrangler. Therefore, the horse thing is out of mind. We can just turn on yep. the cameras, and it'll just be fine. And yeah, it's not a continuing. Uh, process even though it's a animal yeah and a person did y'all notice that when oj was talking to the guy as he was like leaving they rolled that green fake horse in yes as like a replacement yeah and it's interesting that in this movie the chimp is played by a mocap actor because after chimp attacks in the 90s uh chimps aren't allowed in media anymore so now you're watching like as this one's being replaced oh, too. Interesting. Yeah. That didn't even like cross my mind. I, I I did tie the green screen horse to like this sort of idea of like both legacy, you know, that 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 they're talking about, but also like legitimacy, because they sort they have that yeah. conversation about like fake UFOs and like bullshit websites mm. versus like the real shot they're going to get and Oprah. And it, it felt like, like that sort of fell into that bucket, but you're right. It Maybe does tie with the chimp. The axis around which all of the themes circle is that horse being brought in, man, <laughs> that fake. <laughs> no, it, it ties to a lot of things. Uh, I, you're totally right. Like the, the legacy of, the in this in this canon uh a, like the first person on film ever is now replaced by this fucking shitty mm. green screen horse right. in a second because it didn't fit with this new moving fast capitalist mm-hmm. situation yeah, right and the champ who played bonzo is now replaced with uh this green screen man in a chimp suit it's a damn shame yeah who by the way also, uh, is that one a shame? Uh, uh, also, uh, played King Kong in mm. Skull Island, by the way. The mocap oh. actor who played, I, this, who played Gordy. I think if Jordan Peele had a backbone, he would have put in a real chimpanzee. It would have looked better. The <laughs> art would have been better. And um, he would have shown that, you know, he can play with the big boys. He's, he's a real artist. <laughs> so, so, one of the things... 
I don't think we're going to go into that uh, I highly recommend the Kaiju Transmissions episode 4 is they go deep into the incident that led to chimps no longer being allowed in movies and it is horrifying. I remember it a little from when I was a kid but it is fucking gnarly. Uh, and that woman that is has the mangled face who's sitting at uh, at the Star Lasso Express oh, yeah. uh, with the veil is is basically the movie's representation mm-hmm. of a real person. Yeah, and what I remember to them. always hearing. Yeah. Or I remember when that happened, hearing a bunch about it and reading a bunch about it, but I didn't realize that that uh, got chimps barred from the film industry. Man, just imagine how much history. How much better history it'd be if that happened on uh, Bedtime for Bonzo? I don't know Bedtime for Bonzo. That was the movie Reagan no. made uh, with a chimpanzee as his co-star. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you pick that right. next, Charlie? Well, it's now Barto, you know your <laughs> next pick. No. That would have been such a better yeah. ending for Chips. <laughs> we would be... Talking about chimps yeah. the way we talk about bald eagles if uh, <laughs> that happened. Um, I do. Can I? I want to like jump back just like a little bit. This is like a small point, but I was just thinking about Jupe and and his desire to basically his survivor bias or whatever. But what I would call a classic case of death drive, like in, in like the way that sort of like Freud initially looked at it when he was looking at like survivors of world war one, who, you know, his, his whole thing was like, you know, dreams are, are a place for you to like work out your anxieties in like, a in basically a way that like, so you don't need to act them out in life, but like aren't bad enough where they're waking you up. So you're still restful. But yeah, but he was talking to all these guys after world war one who were seeing their friends blown up every single night and like not sleeping and basically like focusing on this idea over and over and over and return like repetition of this idea for their, the rest of their lives, which put a, a wrinkle in his his uh original like idea of what dreams are uh so which is why he came up with the death, death drive but like this sort of idea of repeating this like dangerous behavior you know ad infinium until you it does kill you is like classic classic death drive and i, I thought that was cool that they, they yeah good call that. Yeah, literally repeating the thing that haunts him. Yeah. Like his, and there's so much to say about Jupe. It's like if we start too much, we'll just be on that for so long. But like he has so much trauma, and the way he deals with it is so fucking intense. So nuts. It's like it's, so weird and understated. But like, like why did, would you live with yeah. that room? Why would you live with did, that room? Yeah, he makes money off it. True. But he's he's. Um, I mean, there's also an element of yeah, uh, trauma and his dealing with trauma. But uh, there is part of me that's like, man, you were a child who was went through that horrible thing. You know, that's something you can make money off of. I guess go for it. <laughs> Probably not the healthiest, but that's yeah. He's he's like the bad guy. You realize he's been he's lying to OJ mm. and saying that he can maybe have a path to getting his horses back, but they're already eaten. Right and. 
and he's like exploiting the spectacle, which we know is bad, but I have to rationally tell myself that he's kind of the bad guy of the film because I feel mm. horrible for him. And I'm like, this isn't his fault. I mean, like a lot of bad guys, but, um, and you know, bad guy's a stupid term, but I just mean, you know, he's kind the, of yeah. the antagonist. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I noticed on my, like the most recent watch that when he fucking, uh, Emerald is asking him what happened with Gordy's house or whatever it's called. And he's like, you didn't see SNL, blah, blah, blah. He never yeah. tells her what happens. He never says it. No. He only says what Catan did and this fake thing about the jungle and it was great and all this stuff. And then she's like, I'll have to look it up because he never, we know because we mm. saw it already. But like, I, it, it didn't click that it's like, oh, he can't even, he probably thinks he's saying it, which is a common thing with people who are so traumatized. They think they're telling you about their trauma. They think they're opening, but they're not actually saying any, they're dancing around it, you know? Because yeah. he, one of them talked about like the studio trying to cover it up. It's like, I wasn't clear if it was like known by everybody that exactly, it was like widely known exactly what happened or the studio had been successful in covering up. But I'm also like, logically, there's no way a studio would be able to cover that up. But then again, we're working in the realm of a yeah, no. of a movie, so it's a fake reality. But um, there was the SNL skit. We see the Mad Magazine. Well, I, mean, I don't yeah, think they. I think he was saying they were unsuccessful. Crazy, but I I didn't know maybe they knew to the extent that it mauled and killed everybody. Um, uh, but mm, I'm also like, there's no way a gotcha. studio would be able to cover that up um as much as they could try so i don't know uh the, but, but yeah the first time sure. i saw the movie i was like oh wait is is it just like not a very well-known thing that, about what happened it seems to me like that would be big news yeah but it's just like i mean the one we're talking about the real one was big news and you can listen to the 911 call and it I is remember horrifying but a, a ton of us didn't really remember yeah. you know i don't remember i remember vaguely like the idea, like you can't have a chimp because a chimp will rip yeah. off your face. Like that is yeah. like a thing I knew growing growing up. I don't know why totally. I knew that, but presumably because of this. It's the same boy. reason why you can't have a Chris Kattan. Super unfortunate. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I when he, the lines he says where he's like, Chris, Chris yeah. it's so funny, but it's so dark. The Chris Kattan is yeah. undeniable, he's but he's describing it. this like. No, and then he says he's yeah. killing it on stage. Yeah. Um, so intense. Yeah, it's such a yeah. weird, weird, very And we can all agree scene. now in 2023, yeah. Chris Kattan kind of sucked, right? <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucked. Not very funny. <laughs> he had his one thing, and he did that one thing, but he didn't need to do yeah. it every Saturday. I, I enjoyed it when time. I was in fifth grade, and I watched Saturday Night Live all the time. But um, <laughs> Sure. In retrospect, like, yeah, he wasn't very good. <laughs> okay, so... As long as we're still mm -hmm. on Jupe, and then we could yep. we could move maybe. But I have sure. one uh, question about Jupe because I saw one visual parallel that I'm not exactly sure why it existed. So I'm looking at that shoe on the set that's standing straight up, and I'm like, why is that shoe standing straight up? And then about hour and a half later, a horse. A plastic horse falls into the front of OJ's mm -hmm. truck and is also standing straight up. And it mm. kind of, sort of, looks like that shoe. And I imagine this is, like, some sign of, like, these are the same. These, you know, but 
I don't actually know if that's real or if that's just like my brain looking for a reason for that shoe to exist. Why does that shoe exist? I think of the shoe existing as it feels a little muddy to me, but as the idea, I hadn't thought of the horse, but it fits perfectly with what I had thought before is so talking about the change and stuff falling from the sky and killing their dad. OJ asks, what do you call a bad miracle? And it is miraculous that the shoe stands up like that. It's a bad miracle. It's like this one incredible, how can that happen thing in this horrible scene that he focused on, which is interesting because it's in the museum, but I kind of got the vibe. This is an internal canon. I don't know that it's true that he doesn't tell people that he was transfixed by the shoe. It almost felt like that part's there for them Um, because he's Mm -hmm. the only one that saw the shoe balance like this. But And then, yeah, the horse falling perfectly in there is part of the same thing as the change falling. It's a bad miracle. Thank you. Which is kind of an interesting... I like that question. What do you call a bad miracle? It's true. We that's a how we how is that a 2022 movie thing? Like it felt like that's a thing already, right? It felt so good. It felt like a thing already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Kind of reminds me of signs. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the shoe was one thing. I fully didn't get. Um, I was also kind of thinking. You kind of touched on it there. I was also kind of thinking of you know it's a kid going through a tremendously traumatic experience you know maybe he's just focusing on something maybe it's not even exactly what what we're showing because it's based on his flawed memory but he's just there trying to you know his brain just maybe doesn't want to fully accept or deal what's going on around him so he's just focusing on this shoe and maybe he sees it and remembers it not exactly as it um was necessarily i like that a lot i also like if it is real you know Kids have a tendency, you know, they're they're maybe not as I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it it feels like sometimes during a hectic or emergency situation, a kid will be focusing mm-hmm. on the wrong thing to yeah. us, you know, right. and it kind of is giving you a little window into the fact that his mind isn't quite at a place where he can process this horrible thing happening. So he's focusing mm-hmm. on the shoe while his yeah. friends are dying. Um, totally, I think his perspective is really important to that scene. Um, like that, they shoot out of his eyes for I think a lot of reasons. I also reasons. wonder if maybe um, right. the kernel to this uh, to the chimpanzee part of the movie is based on um, Peel wanting to incorporate his studio's uh, name into a movie. Probably not. I just because his monkey this, paw, oh, uh, eight, uh, monkey paw monkey productions paw, is his studio. Yeah. Oh. So I wonder if yeah, across my mind maybe too. he had that had some kind of influence on the chimpanzee. Um, not to say that the chimpanzee doesn't have meaning there. There was, was a meaning built around that, but I wonder maybe there was a, a original kernel that made him want to build um, something around. Yeah, can you imagine the the monkey paw curling and then fist Yeah, yeah I remember when I first saw it, I was like, monkey paw, <laughs> and then you see a clear shot of the fit monkey's paw doing the fist pump uh, like 20 minutes later or whatever, however long. I was just saying probably nothing, but it's just something that I've always thought about since first seeing it. Totally. Uh Something else that's just another intense moment with Jupe is the when he's like, that's the first exploding fist bump. And then later you see how intense the exploding mm-hmm. fist bump is to him. Like the monkey came, or the ape came to fist bump him and then got yeah. his head blown off. Yeah. And he's so repressed that he's like, look at that. The first exploding well, also, fist bump. Like, dude, yeah. that, it's, I mean, also yeah. the aspect of that is uh, this uh, chimpanzee just killed everyone in sight. Um, but, you know, he probably feels like there's this yeah. special thing between him and – 
in him. Maybe it's part of the reason why he thought he could tame Jean Jacket is because the chimpanzee didn't go to kill him. The chimpanzee went to give him a, an exploding fist pump after mauling everybody else. He's special. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, both both those deaths and uh, Pop's death very much like this. You know, I I said the banality of tragedy, but it's it's also that that uh like a bad miracle falls into that. You know, because like the yeah. the death of everyone on Gordy happened after a balloon popped. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and Pops died after a nickel flew through him you know it's like all it's just like such at some level such small potatoes shit but uh yep that just like totally resets everyone's lives i totally agree i also think and not not just a balloon popping balloon popping on a stupid sitcom that we don't need you know um but uh the dad getting killed by a nickel it felt a little bit like not just banal, but like uh, extra tragic with the fact that he was he he is part of this legacy and you you know, they're struggling. And he says he's talking about the fucking next movie they're doing. He says, if we land this, you know, they're going to bring us back for the sequel and we ain't got to sell no more horses and we got no more problems. Like, it's almost like he's trying to get out of the class. He's in like trying to like actually be accepted by Hollywood, actually have it as easy as some people do. And then gets killed by a nickel when what he's trying to get his money um, is pretty fucking gnarly. Right. Monkey paw. Right. I need, I need more money. Finger curls, here's your money. Straight to your head. Boom. Yeah. I was um, upset when I first saw this because I knew Keith David was in this, and I love Keith David, and he's like, <laughs> not in this movie. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I felt very totally. ripped off. Um, uh, that's also one part of the movie where I feel like this movie is so masterly constructed. You can really tell Jordan Peele is just like a – really great uh craftsman when it comes to telling a story that he really puts all the pieces together but um which is why when there's little things i question it kind of really sticks out to me and this is one thing because they just it, the the officials just um attribute the death to like a plane flying over and luggage just you know fell out and dropped down but like wouldn't there be missing people like wouldn't there be like a big group of missing people that somehow just disappeared around there oh yeah and and they heard like the screaming from it too so it's like i yeah i don't know it feels like um and that's just completely ignored by the plot which is fine um and normally it probably wouldn't stick out to me but just because like i feel like so many other things in this movie fit together so well that just kind of stuck out to me as like yeah but what about i feel like there would be in reality there would be more emphasis on yeah yeah a group of people being lost I think that's a good call. You more like tourists mm-hmm. in that area suddenly missing. Totally. Although, and this kind of bridges to another point, but the uh, the radio does talk about missing people on the news, but it's mm. not centered. It's like some hikers went missing in the valley. Okay, blah blah right. blah. Um, I don't know that that's connected at all. I thought of that as him just surrounding us with the idea of exploiting and capitalizing on tragedy. The news is like, there's a freeway accident and it's being listened to almost as Mm -hmm. entertainment in the background. There's missing hikers. It's entertainment in the background, which, you know, this movie is all about exploiting these tragedies or exploiting animals and things. So, but yeah, maybe 
a little tied. I'm not sure. There's uh, definitely not a lot of like, I don't feel like this movie is trying to be anti-capitalist or anything like that, but I do think that there are, whatever, maybe it is, who knows. But like, there definitely are some little signs, I think, uh, that like the economy is kind of being brought out. Uh, one kind of funny one is uh, when they're trying to figure out how to make money off of when they're making the whole plan to get Jean Jacket, they use Monopoly as their board, huh, as their like uh, setup, Ooh. which is kind of funny because um, they're like racing other people to get the picture yeah. first or whatever. Um, but I did think that it's not accidental how Jordan Peele made everyone's relationship to work be pretty fucking shitty. I don't know. Angel loved his job. um, (laughs) Angel clearly, Angel like was is the best example, right? Like you walk up and he's like, "Oh, can I fucking help you?" Blah blah blah. And like his coworkers, like he's like, "What are you doing?" And she's like, "You know, talking shit, same as always." Like, yeah, it felt very real. Like, like, yeah, fuck. Thank you, Angel. And he like looks at his name tag and he just like has the most like annoyed look. He's like, "Yeah, fucking name tag." Like he just he just looks totally, which. You know, I um, I still work uh, some retail. Um, luckily, it's not my main job anymore. So I totally, totally, totally fucking get that. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> and like everybody, all the main characters, like uh, or especially OJ, Angel, and Emerald, are all very smart, capable people. And OJ's like has to perform, like you said, Barto in front of people. He's like, every time they're asking, Emerald asks him what he's going to do. He's like, well, there's work to do. Always work to do. And he looks like tired. Angel is a very like knowledgeable, capable person whose fucking time is being wasted at Fry's, which I thought Fry's was a great pick because everyone knows it's better than Best Buy, but it's fucking dying. It's like all dying out because I, the economy sucks. And oh, capitalism that's a real, sucks. Yeah, that's a real story. I was about to say, oh, yeah. like, oh, okay. I... I, I I don't know if everyone knows. Like, is Fry's... Everybody who knows Fry's <laughs> knows it rules. Uh, fry's was like... Like, this one's dressed up with, like, a UFO and shit. Our local Fry's, uh, growing up, was, like, tiki and yeah. island-themed. It's just, like, what silly, but it's, like, way less shitty than... Like, you don't go into Fry's, at least you didn't used to, and they're, like, you know... Like, you know, Best Buy sucks. Nobody knows anything. And Fry's was, like, the place you want to go if you know electronics and shit when I was growing up. So, I feel like Jordan Peele probably had a similar experience. It was like, I'm going to make it a fry. I don't even know if it's still around or not. I'm curious how widespread Um, Fry's is, too. Like, I know, obviously, it's in California. Um, Which is where this took place. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Never heard of Fry's. Yeah. It's definitely not in the Midwest. And I'm guessing not, not the East Coast totally. either side. But yeah, I, I it was uh, they brought me some nostalgia. I, I remember Fry's. It's a good store. So yeah, just you have to work a shitty job mm-hmm. and your talent's wasted. Like every even Emerald is like kind of just like I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. She's just, like trying to capitalize on her talent, and she's a capable, cool person. And everybody's kind of in a shitty economic spot. And even like the woman whose face was torn off is like. You know, like, like everybody, almost everyone in the show or in the movie was exploited and is now like doing things for very little money, you know? Yeah. That that lady, what's her Mary Jo something Mm. wearing, wearing a sweatshirt with her own Mm. face on it was like just so (sighs) grim and just like, you know, both tied to this like 
this like we are all sort of like exploited beings who are like always in the grind set and also yes. this that sort of like preserving mm-hmm. a legacy thing that yes. is like a big part of this like i was so and so remember me as this face from the tv thing, you know? and he says she was mm-hmm. my first crush so she was in some way making money or known or revered or whatever for her good looks and now her face was ripped off which adds another layer of fucking gnarly and then the other person is antlers holst who's the most successful Mm. by far and he's miserable on set in the commercial he's miserable in his home in his beautiful home with giant glass windows yeah everybody's miserable at work you know he's miserable until he's about to be sucked up by yeah. the ufo which he knows yeah and, and destroy yeah, which himself. he knows is gonna happen but he's like gotta get that that impossible shot it's <laughs> yeah totally i mean again very uh yeah driving um i do feel that one's a yes. little different because he's doing that for this um artistic uh nagging at him to to achieve the great art um i i don't think that's as necessarily um commercial uh monetarily driven as the other people were talking about sure yeah oh yeah, i yeah. fully agree yeah, yeah. fully agree no he is he's broken out of that that's why he's yes. so excited he's like found a way to escape it and it's in death which is very bleak but yeah you know, possibly yeah. true. Why were they doing a introduction speech to their horse wrangling? Like, weren't they already hired for the job? I, I was confused by that. Um, I, I guess it's just because I don't know how this stuff works, but I thought it was weird. No, I mean, there's like basically every day on every film set, you're going to have at least one safety okay. meeting about. So about what so is it, going on? You're probably going to have multiple. So is it basically just supposed to be a safety meeting? But then she threw in a bunch of stuff to also like kind of promote themselves and herself. Correct. She didn't just throw that in though. They always did that. Um, and the way you know they always did that is OJ starts by saying, "Did you know the first? Did you know the first? And then she comes in and says it correctly. And then later we see video of their dad doing it. And that's how you know she's just repeating what her dad said. Mm-hmm. She's not thinking of it because she says, great, great grandfather. And he goes, there's another great. And she goes, there's another great. And then you hear the dad say it, and he goes, great, great. And it's like, oh, she's not thinking about the fact that it's her grandfather. She's just repeating her dad's exact words. Yeah. And that's but OJ gives a shit about the legacy uh, and and is like, actually, there's another great. Like, he's not thinking about the performance. He's thinking about the real. I Yeah, but I was just, I was just like, what? Don't they already have the job? Like, I, I didn't fully get why they're giving that whole speech. It's just, I mean, I took it as, mm. like, flair for, like, the people there. Like, be excited about us. We know what we're doing with horses. So listen to our safety meeting. Yeah. Hire us for the next thing, too. Like, remember yeah. us. You know, they're ad- they're advertising themselves. But, you know, it's the, I mean, it's the same reason, like, you go into a coffee shop and they're also telling selling, like, T-shirts of the coffee shop. I have a coffee like, maker. I don't go to coffee like, shops. Good for you, brother. <laughs> so you don't you're yeah. totally unaware of this <laughs> phenomenon. Well, yeah, some uh, businesses sell 
merchandise of the business so that you remember to go back, but also so that other people, you might Starbucks. know other people, which is what that, that pitch was. Yeah. I yeah. I also think it's part of the, the showing the, the fact that Hollywood is all this like showmanship and not reality. The safety meeting, part of the safety meeting is two quick things. The safety meeting is five times longer than that because it's all hollywoody and sparkly or whatever and also the safety meeting isn't anything like and that's sort of what as far as i can tell like what most safety meetings at hollywood are it's or in like film is 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 just like this is like an obligation that we need to do so we have to like put on this performance of like that we give a shit about this so that like no one you know gets we don't get yeah it's not just film industry it's uh every corporation or uh, every job basically you Definitely. do yeah they have safety meetings that they have to do yeah um I, yeah like you know one of my jobs like you have these annual safety videos and tests you have to take and yeah it's just pretty known you just kind of fast forward through the videos and just uh click on the the right answers you get a wrong answer you just hit back and click on the right answer and just get through as quick as you can so you yep. can get back to work yeah. Um, since we're sort of talking about legacy, can we can we stay on that for like just Please. a minute? So, I I thought you know it was you know it's OJ trying to like hold on to this idea of you know like that this is this is what this family does. He kind of thinks Emerald is kind of wacky and not not like focused and not serious and she's just doing like the grind mm-hmm. thing she's sort of doing what i think lots of people in hollywood in adjacent spaces are doing where it's like i you could hire me for literally anything put me in your thing then we have you know again mary joe wearing uh, thinking about her own legacy and we have jupe who is someone who was a star and is now like holding on running a sideshow you know essentially and um or like a a, 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 an off a a roadside attraction rather amusement park kind of thing yeah and uh and is trying to revitalize his legacy and there's all this stuff and there's like all these well it's all based sorry that's all based on the legacy of one movie right he's kid sheriff and he's squeezing mm. like his legacy is that he was kid sheriff in one movie mm-hmm. and the whole park is around the western theme because yeah. of that yep and uh so there's this all all these different ways sort of of thinking about who you were and it's or like what you're part of or what you've come from and there's all these like little conversations throughout the movie that like think about that and you know the one that felt really important to me, and I didn't really, I I couldn't really figure it out except for like that Emerald likes her brother, but she talks, she has that like scene where she talks about like this horse was going to be my horse, I was going to be the first one I trained, mm-hmm. uh, but then a movie came up and you needed to train him, and so you and Pops were training him, and I looked out the window, I was sitting in the window, I looked out the window watching you train my horse. And Pops didn't even look up at me, but you did. And is that just her being like, actually, it's fine if we don't like, if we slash some 
some ties from the, that that like conversation felt like really important like it was framed in a way that was like important but i couldn't like tie it into anything else in the movie in terms of like where it was heading or where it was coming well from. first of all um before i even got that up i wanted to respond with this is uh i mean i think you know that that itself that scene itself plays on uh their both their ideas of what their legacy is his legacy is more driven into continuing the horsing because he was more raised specifically by his dad focused and trained in that direction while she was kind of pushed more to the sidelines um and even though he was his, the dad said like oh yeah you'll continue on the legacy too it's clear she was just kind of a that was more of a second thought and he was more interested mm. in raising oj yeah. that way so that's why probably why Very she cool. isn't as interested in the legacy of the ranch as oj is right all right good point that feels like that almost completely clears it up unless you have something rabbit right? because you also looked at uh, something i i hear you i think you're right charlie i don't think i fully grasp everything about that scene i do think there's something important about uh eye mm. contact in this movie and that scene that i'm going to save for a little later when we've talked about some yeah. other stuff okay. i mean i think cool. that scene oh, also yeah. kind of you know has to do with the relationship where even though they're very different um i think that scene kind of shows that they have a closeness where uh, OJ kind of recognizes that his father is kind of ignoring her. And um, he's kind of like telling her mm. like, yeah, like, I know I, I got you. Um, like I understand. And there are, that's a good point. Like when the dad's like, where is she? What's up with that? He doesn't, OJ doesn't say like, Oh yeah. What the fuck? I'm real. He just goes, I don't know. Like he, he doesn't stand up for her, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't join in. He's like, he doesn't care. He understands why she's gone. And she can give him shit, OJ shit, for how he is and being obsessed with stuff. But he doesn't – maybe I'm forgetting it. Does he give her shit? Yes. Yes, he does give her shit. He does. Uh, for But only when it's like interfering mm. with the business. Um, but yeah, I just – I I feel like you're right, Charlie, that like they – like he's clearly been in the privileged position as far as this legacy goes, and he kind of understands. And I do think it's really sweet that they are so different, but they're like, you know, supportive of yeah. each other. Also, um, want to point out he named the uh, the kaiju after that horse that she was supposed to tame that, that he ended up yeah. taming. There. Oh, right. And she is the one who gets the picture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you could. It does seem like it's it's OJ mm-hmm. who tames it. Like OJ is the one who figures out the trick with the. Um, uh, oh, but she, she kills it. She kills. Yeah, she does good. kill it. Which yeah, you know what? Bad on her. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Look, I didn't think of this as a tragic kaiju. Like I, that's ridiculous. I probably should have. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they're just they don't give it big puppy dog eyes, you know. So it's hard to. <laughs> Like um, uh, like Hedora, it it is a lot like Hedora in his sort of second form when he's like oh a, interesting a big UFO and I, guy. And I just want our listeners like to know that our five dollar Patreon listeners get a uh, version of this movie where we have digitally put puppy dog eyes on Jean Jacket throughout the film. <laughs> uh, speaking of 
Jean Jacket, do y'all want to talk a little bit about like the the real paranormal history stuff that influenced this movie? Yes. Yes. I mean, this was what got me so psyched when so I was this was like uh the second the the second time I was watching this movie when the UFO when when Jean Jacket flies over the house after eating the crowd of people and then just rains blood on the house. Well, light bulb went on over my head and I was like, Charles Fort. That's what this is all fucking pulling from. This is from Charles Fort, who is, if you ever heard the term Fortian uh, to describe like sort of like paranormal happening and unusual, you know, like those like reports were like fish fell out of the sky. That would be called like a Fortian event. Um, Cause Charles Fort was a guy who just like was kind of bananas, but he just like spent years of his life going, reading newspapers from across the country, from across the world, like every day and just like clipping articles. He's like, can't explain that. And uh, making these, these books. And he's sort of like, the father of one of the fathers of like modern paranormal research to a certain extent. But one of the things he regularly documented was blood rain, which I think was mostly just like high iron rain that just like looked red, but whatever. Um, wow. Yeah. We got a skeptic got here. Mr. Boring pants over here. Mr. Boring pants, but he, more like yeah. Bortian. In like 1917, very early, before there was like the word flying saucer existed, or UFOs words. or anything like that, he speculated that there were unknown sky objects that maybe were from space that were discharging those weird things like blood. Um, now, Ivan T. Sanderson, who is a follower of Fort um, and the inventor of the term cryptozoology, Oh wow! He wrote a book called "Kind of." uh, He was a you know Charlie and I are cryptozoologists, by the way. Yeah, I know, I know, and you guys didn't know Ivan T. Sanderson. Embarrassing, (laughs) but he was uh, he was a pretty weird dude. But one of the one of the books he wrote was uh, "Uninvited Visitors: A Biologist Looks at UFOs." I would put "biologist" in scare quotes, but. Uh, but he makes the argument that they were animals and that was not very well received by the UFO community. They called him like a heretic. Uh, they were very much like nuts and bolts people. Uh, Trevor Constable is another guy who I would recommend. He, I don't know exactly how he did it, but he used, he took these photographs using like very high speed film or something like that. But basically these like distortions would appear on his photographs that he thought were like basically like giant single celled objects that lived in the sky that explained the UFO phenomenon. Um, And um, they look, I mean, I get Trevor Constable, worth looking up. He called him macrobacteria, but his photos look remarkably like the, the, the jean jacket. Oh, nice. They're, they're really cool. Uh, and then there's John Besser, who was also, he was just kind of like a dude who wrote a lot of letters, but he was also a said that 
UFOs were creatures. Uh, and then Kenneth Arnold, the original flying saucer guy, the guy who came up with the term flying saucer, who started the first big flap of flying saucer sightings, eventually became a flying saucers are the aliens guy. He's uh, the one who said they were like sky jellyfish, right? Uh, I, I, so I don't know if he called them sky jellyfish. That's definitely possible. I thought he I just... said they were like a skipping saucer. He's the one who saw like the crescent oh, shaped yes. ones on yeah, the first yeah. thing. And then he called them something. He said later in life, they were something like sky jellyfish. That, that, that wouldn't shock me if he used that term. Um, I, I don't remember where I saw this. I didn't know, uh, that he was a, um, uh, organic, uh, origin. I could guy. be mixing that up. Uh, it's definitely possible um, because it wasn't. It wasn't Besser. It wasn't Constable. It wasn't Sanderson. Those guys. I don't think any of those guys said it. So it would. It could have been Arnold. Um, and then there was also a paper like written by the by an academic in the last like three years on the idea that UFOs are actually living things. Hell yeah! But I did not read that. But this also. It's oh sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, this also sort of, like, tracks with... Um, it's a little different than, like, John Keel's thing, but... Um, or uh, Jock Fillet's. John Keel or Jock Fillet's thing that, like... That, like, UFOs aren't really, like, necessarily what we think they are. They're not necessarily extraterrestrial. They're not necessarily, like real mm. things john keel was like they're like a mm. trojan horse of something else and actually that was my big question for y'all is did we think this ufo in this movie came from outer space we talked about cold opens earlier that was one i meant to say but i completely forgot um because you're having such a good time without it yeah i don't know because um there's really nothing to indicate that it's from outer space no. Uh, we only as us and them only assumed that because they thought it was a flying saucer first and flying saucers we naturally assume it's just a vehicle from another worldly species so since we know it's uh just a big creature there's no reason to think that it couldn't just be something that exists on earth and there very well could be more because the sky within our atmosphere is is uh pretty big it also just acted like an animal yeah yeah, I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say no. I think the one reason to think maybe yes is just because we haven't had a bunch of incidents with them before. If they feed on humans, you'd think at some point. But I mean, we have had UFO things. Yeah, I mean, just, um, but yeah, it it messes up some of my stuff later uh, using the word alien. Uh, some of my theories to to say no, but I'm gonna say no. I think it's from Earth. I think it it feels like an earth creature and it has like, you know, it has jellyfish inspiration. They used real sea life as the inspiration. I think it was a uh, marine biologist who design who helped design it. Oh, cool. Um yeah. so that make it all fits with it being yeah, an earth I, thing. I thought you know? it was an earth yeah. thing and um I just I assume that they just tend to be in areas where people just uh, don't aren't really populated and uh, the times when they wander where people are it's just, uh, some freak event that gets written up uh, uh, that a lot of people think is fake and the people that think is real is just think some weird totally. unexplainable thing that you know maybe it was aliens totally right. I mean 
I could be, when I say, you know, it was probably just high iron rain. I could be full of shit. It could mm-hmm. be a uh, totally real 14, 14 event. I So one of the things that I'm so bummed about is that I was spoiled, I think, on Twitter that it was a creature before oh. I saw this movie, which is such a bummer. I really was upset about it. like I I and I don't even know if it was somebody saying it exactly. It was enough that I just knew. Like I felt like I knew. And then when I saw the aliens in the barn, I was like, maybe I was wrong, <laughs> but I wasn't. Um, but that was a bummer. But I I had remembered because I was really into alien shit for a while uh, around 2010 2011, and uh, I, yeah, Charlie was there. Uh, <laughs> I so I remembered the the that stuff like that there were like that i only remembered one person with an idea that there they were actually beasts which i always thought was so stupid but i thought it was cool that it was calling back to that i i i kind of imagine that a lot of people seeing this movie were disappointed like oh that's not alien lore that's not real paranoia that's so stupid and i think it's really cool that it is actually way more based in paranormal lore than like a lot of alien movies, yeah. right? It's not a copy of a copy of a copy of an alien movie. It's like, let's go back to that first shit. Yeah. Let's get rid of our assumptions. I That's so cool. It, and then the other thing I thought about was um, Carl Jung's book, which I've not read all of, on UFOs. Because oh, shit. I've not read all of it because I'm not really super interested in Carl Jung. But he sort of takes like a middle path on UFOs that like, he doesn't say that they're real and he doesn't say that they're fake. Uh, but he says that like something might be manifesting and working in tandem with our anxieties. Um, mm. And this creature sort of functions the same way. Like a child star obviously like has anxieties about, you know, following the cast of his show dying when he was a a child and it manifesting again, you know, with this other creature and OJ literally, you know, is real anxieties about the fact that he's, his horses are disappearing. Now they're disappearing because he's selling them, but also because this fucking alien is eating them up. Well, and we, he's only really made aware of its presence after his father mm-hmm. dies and he has all of the anxieties of the business and filling that role on him and he only really starts to see it after he loses his first job and his first mm-hmm. chance so right. there's a lot of anxieties yeah. there right and and his father encounters it being anxious about money yeah. and then a fucking yep. nickel flies yeah. through him and then totally you know he's thought uh he's selling these horses and he's going to get them back and then all of a sudden, he realizes, "Oh shit, he's been feeding my horses to uh, this dude in the sky." I don't know totally. if, if he it uh, about two thirds of the way through. I thought, "Oh wait, Jordan read, read Young." I'm pretty sure that he did, and that was an influence <laughs> in here. I think he oh, read yeah. Fort. I also think he read Fort. Actually, I feel quite sure he read Fort. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no way. It's uh, yeah, it's very cool that it. I mean, I just said mm. that, but then he's like, it's just so legit. Like, Jordan yeah. Peele's so legit. Like, yeah. these sources are so legit. This is such a cool thing to base a horror-based, like, 
like UFO movie on, and I love that it that it was played off like it felt like it was going to be an abduction movie for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I thought for sure that was what like when I saw the previews, I'm like, we're getting an alien abduction movie. Fuck yeah! And I w- that was totally. part, probably part of my disappointment when I walked away from it at first. Yes, I'm understood. getting disappointed about what a movie yeah. wasn't rather than what a movie is, which is a dumb way to watch a movie. Classic, but still rookie mistake Jordan, for sure. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when, you, when you hear this, Jordan, just you can now give us an abduction film. I mean, we can you can do both. I would watch. I that. would watch that. I would watch. I'd that be too. there first weekend as long as there's parking. The other thing I thought about was, um, and I don't know, this one felt like more of a stretch, but maybe. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch was was the other thing mm. that popped in my head that that I mean, again scare quotes mysterious piece of property in uh, what's it New Mexico. I'm not uh, as familiar with the Skinwalker stuff as I am with the other stuff you're talking about. It's like a piece of property that like all sorts of spooky stuff theoretically is happening on there and extra dimensional stuff and ufos and horror story stuff and but like the fucking they've they've put like so much money into like trying to collect a a piece of evidence uh that actually something is going on at this ranch and it is refusing to be Mm -hmm. caught which leads me to believe it's not really there but um what what's his name um that billionaire who's like really that hotel magnet who's howard hughes no 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 robert bigelow is his name uh robert bigelow owns or owned the ranch um to like do paranormal research on the ranch and uh i don't know but the thing that does come from that in my mind is the refusal of the paranormal thing to be caught on film and as like mm. a theme, which is like a, you know, like when you talk to like, you know, the, the praying mantis going on the camera was like such like, yes, the stars will always align so that you do not get the shot. That, there's, totally. There's like the big, the Bigfoot people will tell you like, oh yeah, Bigfoots are just like, they hear the whir of the trail cams and so they'll never <laughs> go on the trail cams or um, whatever. I'm glad you brought that up because I mentioned earlier one of the things that bothered me is that overall this is so massively constructed and fits together so well that uh you know, the people missing the in the that first that's the intro scene um kind of piqued my curiosity. But yeah, I was also kind of like the praying mantis on the camera just felt so like just uh put in there um everything else is so well thought out and connected like that's that just luck. such like yeah. a random thing that's just put in there like oh i need to cover the camera uh so that's an easy way out um and that's one thing that kind of bothered me so i i like you bring that up it kind of makes me reassess that a little bit i i think there is like a real thing about you know the that's part of i, I think ties into the general themes of like harnessing nature for like to make money off of, you know, there's like a real impossibility of doing that and like harnessing that. And, um, it, 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 uh, shows itself in kind of like a different way when you're like trying to get the photograph of UFOs or whatever, when you're not just like putting a, a light bulb in it 
in a tin plate together. You know, there's, you know, the stars will align again, a negative, a, a miracle that's bad, you know, will, will totally. always happen. I, I love the shot when they, I think it's when they finally get that camera back and it swoops up and it, and the, the UFO goes mm-hmm. just out of frame where you got it, but you didn't get it. It's like, such a perfect encapsulation of what like the very best ufo footage looks yes. like it's like it's there but it's so so out it's just such a great feels real yeah i thought i thought they did the ufo narrative from like a guy who really loves ufo stories and stuff like that i thought they they did it so well and they hell they, yeah with care and love for the the background of the thing yeah, I, I do think that there are a lot of things in this movie, like the praying mantis or uh, like the one guy at Fry's they go mm-hmm. to being a UFO expert that are like too easy. But the movie's so good, I don't care. Like, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, it's too easy because I don't need to show you two days of them talking to people and then they find a UFO expert. <laughs> yeah. Like, it could happen. It's kind of cool that the guy at Fry's knows that stuff. I um, usually yeah. don't really care about that stuff so much, but just because I think one of the things about Jordan Peele is I, I feel like one of his strong assets is he's yes. really good at just putting all this stuff and kind of like tying it together where like if one thing kind of sticks out to me that doesn't doesn't seem like it's tied as well. It's, just, it's like a puzzle piece that doesn't exactly fit as well as all the other puzzles. Totally. It just kind of takes me out of it a little bit because um, that's not what I'm expecting from him. So it's more of just uh, um, he yeah. sets my expectations at a point where other people I don't always have those expectations. My take on the guy at the um, at the store just knowing a bunch about UFOs, like I don't know, my fucking dad was like, "All oh, the New York Times videos, you see the New York Times videos, the UFOs are here," you know, like he's yeah, never true. like given a shit about that in his life, and then like. When that came out, he's like, the Navy guys, they're on TV. They're saying there's UFOs. They got to, you know, why wouldn't you believe a trained pilot? They like, you know, that stuff, like, I mean, this is like a whole other thing that I'm not going to just start talking about. But like, there's very much like in the last five or seven years or so. Decade, probably. You know, the last, the last decade, we'll say, uh, there is UFO fever. Yeah, well, I mean, also he brings up yeah. lots of normal. He brings people. up ancient aliens, and you know that that show was was huge. And like right. you have to wonder, like yeah, that show's kind of like ridiculous and silly. But there's probably a lot of people who kind of like never really thought about UFOs that much before, and then that got them into it, and they kind of like really got into it after that. My, my, yeah, I mm-hmm. that helped me get into it. My wife's kids, they all are ancient aliens people like through tiktok but they all are like under the like if you were to poll her kids i think a huge chunk of them were like would be like yeah aliens built the pyramids well it's a great it's a great time too to release this movie because we're in a time where on twitter every friggin week people are debating whether the ufos are being described disclosed as a spectacle to like hide and cover up something else and this is a movie about spectacle so it's kind of perfect yes yeah it's the weirdest time all of the people who at like 10 years ago would be like whoa they're talking Mm -hmm. about aliens you know the proof is here you can't get around it are are now the people who are like psyop (laughs) 
spectacle, yep. don't believe it. And they're right about this one. But, uh, you know, they're like... Because uh, you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. It's all spectacle. And It, it was so funny. Listen to the last podcast on the left, um, right after like this this recent uh, uh, UFO stuff came out. And um, Henry uh, Brinsky? Zabrowski? He, he was yeah, like second one. You know, super into UFOs, like the most eager to kind of like accept this stuff. Even hit, he was like, "Yeah, I don't really trust them though." And that's the thing that sucks is that it's like that's the person like yeah. most expects would be uh, like fully like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but even he was just like not totally. very trustworthy of it. <laughs> I I think if this movie came out a year later. Angel would have been written differently. Instead of saying Ancient Aliens is real and they changed the name WAP or UAP uh, so that we wouldn't like, because we don't know what a UAP was, he he would have written him so that he was like, oh, these UAPs are just distractions. Like, yeah. that's how quick I feel like <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff changed. That was really funny. He did the, uh, what, what did he say? He put the triple parentheses around they during their, <laughs> yes. their little conversation with one another. What did he say? Um, I had a whole section on the word use of the word they in this movie, and my notes were already 12 pages, so I cut it. <laughs> but yes. Tell you why they changed the name from UFO to UAP. I'm like, oh, yes. man, Angel. <laughs> totally. And he says Agent Aliens is real, which is so funny, because by then it's on season 18 where they're like, saying insane shit about bigfoot caves connecting all the continents and and like dinosaurs being around still and it's just beautiful uh the the founding fathers having to do with aliens and whatever i watched too much of that show back in the day well do y'all have any i i kind of am itching to talk about spectacle a little more and go down a weird path is this a good time for that always a good time might be a a a little bit of a long path I got legs that I have, I'm are raring so to go. I'm so interested if we arrive at a similar point. Sweet. Okay, so I was tripping on this this movie. I was tripping especially on Jean Jacket and what Jean Jacket means. And obviously, this movie talks about spectacle a lot. They use the word a lot. Uh, one of the first, like the the first thing in the movie is a quote from the Bible that uses the word spectacle. Um, so that got me, you know, my simple brain thinking of the book Society of the Spectacle by Guy Dubois. Uh, for folks who don't I have either of y'all read one this, that's always been in my um, like to read. But uh, you guys know I don't read much uh, intellectual stuff. I've read a lot of guys who've read Dubois. <laughs> nice, yeah, Charlie. You read a ton of history. I can't even read history, but yeah, okay, cool. I read this once. I I read this once before. And I don't think it was at a good time because I reread it this weekend and got a lot more out of it. Um, so I decided to try to read some of this movie through the, uh, Guy Dubois. Uh, just so folks know, this came out in 1967. A lot of people think it was a big influence on uh, the French, whatever you want to call it, the riots, uprising, protests of 1968. Um, and he's a Marxist who, like, st- Help this book help start the situationists kind of movement. Um, I'm not super knowledgeable about this stuff, so I might be reading this wrong. Who knows? But I got some fun stuff from it. So, um, this book is a, uh, instead of having like page numbers, it has, uh, theses or aphorisms. So each paragraph has a number. And, uh, so I'm going to be reading a couple of those. But the general idea roughly is that like, 
So, you know, like there was a stage of capitalism where capital was like the axis around which all of our community and social interactions turned and that now it is transformed to where spectacle is that axis and like capital and spectacle work together. But the main thing driving and orchestrating our life, especially our social life is spectacle. And that's like TV, movies, podcasts, social media, ads, products, commodities, like the way malls are laid out, fashion, art, basically everything. The prime idea is the appearance of things. And our prime social interactions are based around uh, uh, images and are mediated through images. So the first thesis of the book, the first paragraph is, in societies where modern conditions of production prevail, all of life presents itself as an immense accumulation of spectacles. Everything that was directly lived has moved away into a representation. So the first thing I want to talk about in this movie is the ideas of representations taking place of reality. And we've kind of talked about that a bit. For instance, like the horse being brought in, the fake horse that's that's green being brought in instead of the real horse. Um, they talk about... We need to get our moment, our Oprah moment, our shot of this, uh, of this UFO thing. And they're like, oh man, all the UFO shots are shitty footage. And Angel's like, shitty footage of verifiable proof of alien civilization. <laughs> and it's very clear that the shots, the shots being good are what's most important about mm -hmm. seeing aliens. We can't believe it unless we get good shots. The image takes primacy. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And, like Jupiter's claim is like, and this gets kind of uh, Baudrillardian too, but like Jupiter's claim is this, is this fake Wild West that's like kind of a replication of a movie that's a replication of the real Wild West. So people go to this fake Wild West, but it's now the real world. And I don't know if y'all noticed in Jupe's office, there's a poster for a reality show called Jupiter's <laughs> Orbit. Yes. So it's like, how many simulations and simulacra are we deep? It's a reality show about the star of, uh, or about the people who run a fake Wild West, which is based on a movie, which is based on the real Wild West. But it's yeah. all taking place in the real Wild West, and it has replaced the real <laughs> Wild West. This is the West now, right? Um, and like the same thing, Gordy's museum, like the whole thing is through Mad Magazine and SNL skits. Um, even her saying, my great, great grandfather that's not that's a that's a replication of what her dad said um so this the second thesis is the spectacle is not a collection of images rather it is a social relationship between people that is mediated by images and uh how do i put this like i mean one thing that stood out to me is that uh when they're hanging out in the car she goes can I get the fun OJ? Like she's like changing channels. She's asking for him to represent himself a different way, you know? Um, but also like every relationship and interaction in this movie is mediated through images. Like either people are working on a movie or they're trying to get pictures of something or they're trying to get cameras to get pictures of something or they're going to talk about a museum of pictures of something. It's all revolving around this spectacle that we're all producing and, together, and which is kind of interesting. is taking place on a podcast about movies. Huh? Does that cross your mind, Boom. Marta? Not, no, <laughs> but I just keep seeing you smile so big when, when you lock on to what Rabbit's saying and it's just making me feel great. <laughs> well, there's been a couple of things that are like... <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to 
say that, and then like he says it, and I'm like, oh, yep, yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sorry, no, no, Afar, yeah, please feel free <laughs> to interrupt or ask questions as I'm going. Um, so, okay, I'm going to read a little bit of a longer one for a second. This is uh, thesis number 18. Where the real world changes into simple images, the simple images become real beings and effective motivations of hypnotic behavior. The spectacle, as a tendency to make one see the world by means of various specialized mediations, it can no longer be grasped directly. So reality can no longer be grasped directly. We mediate it through images. Uh, the spectacle naturally finds vision to be privileged human sense, which the sense of touch was for other epochs. The most abstract, the most mystifiable sense, our vision, corresponds to the generalized abstraction of present-day society. But the spectacle is not identifiable with mere gazing, even combined with hearing. It is the opposite of dialogue. Wherever there is independent representation, the spectacle reconstitutes itself. So basically it's saying that not only have representations replaced reality for us and where we find reality representations quickly come in and replace them, but vision has become the, the most important uh, sense for us as humans. It used to be touch, it maybe used to be hearing, but now it's vision. And it's he's saying that vision... Like gazing upon a spectacle is the opposite of dialogue. It's like a one directional thing, right? So we're going to put a pin in that for a second. Just remember that. So I'm going to go to a weird Marxist topic, uh, the idea of dead labor. Um, for people who don't know, like the idea of value to Marx is labor. So all labor in capitalism or all value in capitalism comes from labor. Are you all familiar with this idea? So like, all our commodities, our machines are actually dead labor that's like crystallized into value, right? Like if I get something at Walmart, it's a bunch of somebody's labor that now is somebody else is making money off and I get and I get value from it's dead labor. So we're like surrounded by like fucking ghosts, right? A bunch of dead labor, like all this, we kind of like forget about it. It's part of commodity fetishism is not knowing where our commodities come from and just thinking of them as these magical kind of things with power but in marx's world we're like surrounded by dead labor like dead people's fucking efforts are mm -hmm. filling our rooms and stuff right so one really blatant idea of dead labor in entertainment is laugh tracks like you all have heard that thing like oh laugh tracks are from like the 50s and those people are long dead and we're still yeah. using them right so gordy the show is a sitcom doesn't have a lap or it has a laugh track that's being recorded live. There's the audience's uh, reactions and their laughter are part of the entertainment. That's actually the first audio in the film is the mix. You know, yeah. you don't see what's happening yet. It's a mix of the actor's lines and the viewer's reactions and laughter, right? During Gordy's attack, we see a view that shows the audience was attacked too, or at least uh, was part of this disaster. Um, and they're also part of the spectacle of the attack, which now becomes the SNL, the Mad Magazine, the museum. The other audience we see in the film besides Gordy's uh, show is the people at the Star Lasso Express. So I was tripping in this movie about something, and this is what kind of made me trip out, is that I was thinking of Jean Jacket as the spectacle, right? Like, it's the big spectacle of the movie. But Juke calls... He thinks it's aliens, and he calls it the mm, viewers. So we're the spectacle. That's very weird, yes. right? Like the, but is it the viewers or is it mm. the spectacle, right? So 
then there, we know it's the spectacle. Like there's no, there's no, it has to be the spectacle. Our people, our, our main characters are trying to capture the spectacle on camera to exploit it for profit, right? That's the whole movie. Jean Jacket is sight and sound. We see the animal and we hear the animal. And the sound is not a laugh track. It's a scream track. It is the analog. It's like the, the reverse or the, the copy of the laugh track from Gordy. What we would have heard if they stayed in the audience during the attack. So the spectacle is the viewers, right? Like it's the people it sucked up. The spectacle and the viewers have become one. The project, the product isn't just the audience. It isn't just the spectacle. It's both. And like it's, a feedback loop, right? They're screaming about being the spectacle as they're observing the spectacle. And this is just like ties really well into DeBoard's ideas about how the spectacle isn't one directional all the time. Like the spectacle is supposed to entertain us. So we spend money on it, but it changes what we want, Mm -hmm. right? Like advertisements and movies change what we want, but they also change as Mm -hmm. our wants change. To me, that's like the trippiest part of the movie is that it's the same fucking thing. Does that make sense? Yes. Is this tying into what you were thinking, Barto? Well, okay. So now what I was thinking, it feels like I was missing a piece, but uh, because, uh, yeah, your explanation is much fuller um, and mine is a little more half-baked, but I I was seeing um, Jean Jacket as sort of like an analog for us. It is like a surveillance creature to a certain extent it is like it is um you know i thought about it's a viewer i mean yeah it's a viewer It, it is but it's it is like it is pulling up and just you know we something that we're like thinking about in this is sort of like the disposability of Mm. of everyone in entertainment to a certain extent and Uh. This creature is literally like vacuuming up and disposing <laughs> of like everyone in this film and, and yes and um and just shooting back out. I mean, I guess the viewer doesn't really throw up blood when it's done when we're done watching movies, but some some yeah. people do. But um but yeah, I sort of I saw it as yes, the other side of the spectacle than just like the spectacle of itself. Your your explanation is much fuller than um, mine. That was really, no, no, that's legit. That was really yeah, nice. I just want to point out also, um, you know, you're you're talking about yeah, it's sucking up the people, but it's sucking up the people that view it, um, right? The way to get around it is to not view it, not look at it. Um, yep. That's 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 the secret to not getting eaten by it is uh, you don't look at it, right? Is there something there? If only yes. it was that easy. But yeah, that's, that's, that all vibes really hard with what I was thinking. Both of those things. Like, yeah, I love that it's us. It's like the, cause yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't grasped or, or articulated the violence of it too, right? The, we are being eaten alive by the spectacle and what it's giving us back is pocket change. Um, (laughs) it's throwing onto the ground and killing us. Uh, so yeah, I love that cyclical relationship. I feel like DeBoard's ideas are even easier to grasp in 2023 because we have social media yes. where like we are the product and the audience. We are creating the posts that we are reading. Mm-hmm. It's a feedback loop. One thing that I wasn't sure of when I was first watching this is why does Jean Jacket open? Why does Jean Jacket suddenly become huge? 
you, you all know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's suddenly showing us. And I mean, do you all have any um, answers to that? I, I take just a assumed it was a protection mechanism, like a, you know, um, like a, if a blowfish is scared, it'll blow up. So something along those lines where it's feeling cool. a threat at that point. Um, and uh, so it's kind of bluffing itself up and trying to make itself scarier than it usually looks, I guess. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, I, Love that. I mean, it also, in, if we're thinking about it this way, I mean, to be seen is is why it's, it's, it's yes. expanding, you uh, know, to like... Because they yeah. won't look. Yeah. Yeah, it's like how uh, all the advertisements have to, quote, cut through mm. the noise. They have to figure out how to get you to pay attention. It suddenly has an adversary that won't look at it. So it has to try... It's like the movie that has to do better than the other. It has to stand out. And so suddenly it's becoming more it's, of a spectacle. It's also interesting because right? yeah. that's when it shows, presumably, its eye, right? Isn't that what that big thing in the middle is eye mouth thing yeah totally uh, yeah that that block that like goes all weird and crazy yeah beautiful blob yeah. yeah i mean it's um it's the difference between uh oj getting on stage and being like hello my family's <laughs> been in movies and then emerald coming on stage and being like hello you know like that totally. is the, that is it as a hiding behind a cloud versus Look at me, motherfuckers. I want to eat you. Totally. Because the spectacle needs us to look at it, or it doesn't have power, right? Like, what is it without us looking at it? Of course. This all takes place in Hollywood. Can I jump onto another another thing? Please. So that was the first thing that the book, like, really got me, like, excited about. So then I just kept looking at this book for this movie. And the first chapter of uh, Society of the Spectacle is called Separation Perfected. And the general idea is that this big you know, community, society, worldwide spectacle is attempting to unite us in separation. Um, the, the, it is bringing us together, but our togetherness is separate. Like think about we all get together. The, when, when I'm in the, with the most people is when I'm at the movie theater and we are not talking to each other. We are not looking at each other. We're pretending each other doesn't exist, but we're all there. Like um, two thirds of the country used to watch Johnny Carson. Yeah. I was going to say, it, not even just in the, the movie theater, just, uh, yeah. Watching TV, people will talk about, yes. you know, remembering exactly where they were when, you know, like JFK or whatever. And, you know, a lot is just centered on them or nine 11. And it's, about like hearing about it going to a TV and looking at a TV and getting the news broadcast on TV. Totally. Um, so the third thesis of the book is due to the very fact that this sector is separate, or uh, I think that means the spectacle, it is the common ground of the deceived gaze and false consciousness. And the unification it achieves is nothing but an official language of generalized separation so thinking about uh like the the book is saying that the gazing at the spectacle is the opposite of dialogue it's separation from human connection and community and think about every character in this movie every single one is alone oj is in this house his dad's gone emerald's gone we don't know where emerald lives presumably she's alone angel's girlfriend just left him because she got a gig at the cw which is (laughs) funny uh the like the most successful guy, Antlers Holst, is alone in his super nice place, mm-hmm. fucking miserable. So 
it feels like it lines up with this idea of alienation, which is a huge thing in Marx. We're alienated from our commodities, from our work, from each other. Um, this idea about the gaze being the opposite of dialogue, I feel like this movie has a lot to say about the gaze. Like, the eye contact is extremely mm-hmm. important with the scene with Gordy and Jupe. We're seeing from Jupe's eyes, and then Gordy makes eye contact, and we feel this fear of, are we going to get attacked? But it's actually this, like, connection, right? Um OJ, in that first scene in Hollywood on the set, says, don't look the horse in the eye. And then they realize if they don't look JJ in the eye, if they don't look at the spectacle, they're okay. Um, uh, uh, the horse sees its own uh, reflection, its own eyes, and it freaks out. And then later, the TMZ reporter, who is supposed to bring the spectacle to us, his helmet is just another reflection ball, just like the ball that made the horse freak out. And totally. we see him... He gets all gobbled up. Oh, yeah. He, he doesn't even have to look. It looks at itself through the eye. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and then that memory that we were talking about is uh, uh, OJ not just making eye contact, but pointing to his eyes and then pointing to um. uh, uh, Emerald. And l- mm-hmm. like they're making eye contact. They're, they're like separating from the spectacle for a second. Um but yeah, like the oh, and the father in that scene that you brought up is is focused on the spectacle. He's trying to train this horse so that it can be in the movie, so that they can keep doing right. capitalism well to survive because they have to. And the reason that they both remember this and it's so important is because they kind of broke free of that and looked at each other. And but only OJ pointed at his eyes and then pointed at her. But in the finale of the movie, he does it and then she does it. And they're like filing this emancipation from the spectacle. Their cameras are dead. They're now just trying to kill it and get away from it. And I think the eye contact there is like this, uh, I mean, into boards. His conclusion to this book, I don't know if I agree with, it's like all about workers' councils and shit. But the general idea is that we need the first steps are breaking out of the spectacle, looking at each other and having dialogues. And uh, to him, a gaze is the opposite of a dialogue. And I think that's what we're seeing. Starting podcast. Billy <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I think that's what we're seeing at the end of the movie is them breaking free of the spectacle and finally having a dialogue. Sorry to board. I like movies too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he's writing a book, <laughs> so obviously he's not breaking through by not, you know, you got to go through, not around yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to decide if this quote's worth reading or not. I mean, might as well. And then if it's not, then we edit it out. Sure. Okay. So this one's weird because it has a bunch of quotes from Marx in it. But just know that half of what I'm saying is quotes from Marx because it'd be really annoying for me to say quote unquote half the time. Uh, This is uh, thesis 215. The spectacle is ideology par excellence because it exposes and manifests in its fullness the essence of all ideological systems, the impoverishment, servitude, and and negation of real life. The spectacle is materially the expression of the separation and estrangement between man and man. Through the new power of fraud, concentrated at the base of the spectacle in this production, the new domain of alien beings to whom man is subservient grows coextensively with the mass of objects, is the highest stage of an expansion which has turned need against life. The need for money is thus the real need produced by political economy and the only need it produces. Um, So yeah, we're, we're focused so much on capital that it's turning... 
us against each other. Uh, and they're instead of being separate, they're finally connected in the end, which I think is sweet. But it kind of raises some questions about the ending. Like, they kill the spectacle, but they take a picture of the mm-hmm. spectacle. They beat the news there, but they're about to be the spectacle, yeah. right? The news just showed up. Very ambiguous. Yeah. Like, what do you... They they own and can reproduce this spectacle of the spectacle, right? This picture. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do? She, I think at that point, she assumes her brother's dead. Um, and she's still just like, God, get this fucking picture. Uh, which I guess I kind of understand. We're like, I... We've lost so much. I'm gonna fucking get this goddamn picture. But it's also just yeah, like, nope, right? Fuck. It's like, who cares about the picture now? Like, uh, totally. Um, yeah, I don't know. Some people, I guess, were aren't sure whether or not OJ died. I I thought he survived. Um, He's I, I know some people think that He's that's alive just like a fuck. vision she had. I guess, which never even occurred to what? me. Okay, so I didn't know how widespread that was. No. But I um. Some people got to take some media literacy courses. <laughs> that idea stops okay, right okay. here. Good, because it, it never even occurred to me. Then I heard that, um, um, I think maybe Weekend at Bergman's, they brought that up, that people were thinking that, I don't know, I, I read or heard that somewhere. Putting that to Wait, rest. what, but the question, what do y'all think, what do you think they're going to do? Do you have a guess? Like, if you, what do you think they're going to do with this picture? I, I, you know, I got to say, after your explanation right here, your thoughts. I kind of hate the ending. <laughs> now I don't like the ending anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm a little disappointed um, in it. Because there was a successful liberatory moment, and then she got sucked back into it. She's about to be sucked back into it. Owning a picture does not have to contribute to this. Like, you don't have to give it up. I think, I think this is a... I mean, I lean your way. This is what I keep telling myself, is that this is a first... This is where they have their opportunity. And are they going to take it or are they going to give I it? I think they're going to take the opportunity. I mean, and and then they're uh, essentially they're going to fucking turn into jupe. You know, that's like that's the that's the the cycle that they're going to that they have to head down is that they they are they will have this this thing that people can come and look at and pay fifty thousand dollars to like have sex near and uh yeah but but but, like everyone died yeah but uh you know to get him so it is a horror movie first of all if that's all Um, that's true they gotta pay Uh, the bills totally one interesting thing i think though about that ending is that happens she takes the picture but then we get the final shot of oj as a cowboy with the cowboy music obscured as a cowboy in the real in the fake real west that they've created around him and to me watching it right then i'm like oh hell yeah look at this fucking cowboy hero right like it feels like that Mm -hmm. so i almost feel like he's making us judge her and him for about to giving into the spectacle and then i'm right there giving Mm -hmm. into the spectacle i'm like (laughs) oh man he's a fucking hero cowboy dude look at that because it's hard like, it's a fucking horror movie. The fucking, like, capitalism is fucking hard. It's, like, what else are they going to do? Just the, fucking eat it's the, road trash? The the end of um, Inglorious Bastards. It's Inglorious Bastards. It's this. It's the same thing. They're like, they, they, they pull the same trick. It doesn't work quite as well because fuck Nazis. But they, they do the, they're like, uh, the cruelty that these, these Nazis, you know, like the, the ugly, um, the ugly joy that these Nazis find in this like 
this violent movie and then they like come in and then they mow down all the nazis in the theater and it's like the and it's supposed to like trick you into cheering along right and and, like be like ah you're just like the nazis and um but i they're they're pulling a similar trick here it's it's more sneakier i think here yeah i think it it is interesting because it's like what is he going to be is he going to be our real hero who helps like break free of the spectacle or is he going to be the movie star hero and like be known as a hero yeah, kind of thing the guy who well, killed the, um, the jellyfish in the sky. yeah as far as i'm concerned they totally. can't be a hero after killing a, a jean jacket true like kaiju yeah so i have a whole section on jupe with this book and on antlers and that's just too much so i'm going to paraphrase the jupe one real quick yeah, and then go to antlers really quick i just want to throw in i think probably the government would just confiscate the picture because at that point <laughs> the government's going to be interested in like what the fuck this thing was and then you're delaying the they're spectacle. just going to take like yeah. the remains of the of jean jacket and they're going to take like the picture and they might even want to do a cover-up uh, so yeah i think whatever they choose they might be shit out of luck anyways <laughs> totally so in in part of this book uh he has a section on celebrity that i thought kind of tied to jupe uh we see Jupe, like, I kept wondering when I'm watching this movie, like, oh man, does he not know he's traumatized? Does he not know, does he not think about this? But then we see him off in his head remembering this shit and mm-hmm. how horrible it was. And then his wife's like, hey, feeling good? And he goes, yeah, feeling good, which is like so gnarly, right? But uh there's this section in the book where he's basically talking about how celebrities have to be representations of human be- living human beings who have to like have the banal like they have to have like socially accepted they can only pick from the socially accepted behaviors and emotions that like keep the machine running basically um and that underneath all of that is pure misery but they have to keep up the face of it. And I just thought that was interesting because he is the celebrity of the movie. And so is Mary Jo Elliott. But uh, like both of them are putting on a show above misery to like look like to 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 put forward that. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Mm-hmm. You know, the positivity, which is fucking dark. Yeah. Yes. So you all already said the heart of the antlers thing, which is fucking awesome. Like, or at least my interpretation of it. Cause I think this is the thing the movie gets the most shit for is people are like, why did antlers a holst run up and die? But you all seemed on yeah, the same page as me. I was like shocked when I saw that that was like a common complaint people have with the movie. That just always seemed obvious to me. He's just someone who's obsessed with, with his art and wants to, to get perfect his art. And, and it's, and is miserable, like, working, just like (laughs) everyone else, you know, like. Totally. I think the thing that might be hard for people, and to me it was was the most silly part of the movie to me, other than the TMZ guy who's just so over the top, it's, like, almost annoying. He's, Uh, uh, real quick, the TMZ guy is the guy who, like, if you're confused about what's going on in this movie, then the TMZ guy rolls up and he's like, (laughs) <laughs> Where's my camera? Don't you want to be on TV? Don't you want to be famous? I need a picture. I need a picture. Yeah, yeah. You can use my I, camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing about right. me about the TMZ guys, right. so I just like, comes important. up and he's like talking like a villain, and I don't know. And it just takes a few minutes before he even reveals reveals who he is. It's just I don't know. The I way he talks is very weird. I loved. It. I loved the TMZ <laughs> guy. I thought it was so fucking funny. Yeah. 
but uh hell yeah anyways sorry no 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 that's a great point i think i not every moment is for me it's really good to want to get the point like that's that's really great i love that and you know fuck i love that they're making fun of that kind of guy it's kind of beautiful um also it is funny that he doesn't notice that their house is completely soaked in blood but that's neither here nor there Um, yeah he has like no he has no questions about like what they're doing at all why there's like a hundred like wavy guys going around he's just like um not focused (laughs) on what's going on around him that could be related to what he's looking for because totally he's just very blind which i gotta point out the wavy guys are so funny because those are what people get to get people to see their store it's what you do to get the viewers to shop there and then they're using it on the viewers slash spectacle which then does its own wavy guy by trying Mm. to be seen by (laughs) it's just pretty great <laughs> um okay so y'all basically already said it but i think it it uh it, that he uh antlers okay i think the part that was hardest for me was that he got the shot but then he still wanted to get the shot in a way that would kill him and maybe also kill the film like that felt a little weird to me on first watch but when i was reading uh society of the spectacle it made perfect sense you all said it already like he just wanted to get out of the fucking work cycle um but I'm going to get a little more fucking wing nutty with Guy Debord here. So he talks about time changing because of capitalism. So he has this idea that for a lot of people, like back in the before time, like nomadic people or people who were just farming, time felt cyclical. You've probably heard this before. Instead of thinking of time linearly, you mostly thought of time cyclically by the seasons, by these recurring events that happened. And that there was this secular time that kind of like tied to the earth. And then when you got ruling classes, suddenly you had people who were outside of that secular time. They are not growing food. They don't care about the seasons. They're above that. And they start caring about themselves as figures in history. So suddenly what they care about is legacy, which you kept bringing up, Barto, and their place in this way bigger grander scheme that people who are living their lives every day and working off the land don't have the privilege to think about. They're not thinking about like what they're leaving behind or what their life means as a narrative necessarily. They're Mm -hmm. just thinking of getting through all the stuff, going in a circle. But suddenly you have this ruling class thinking of linear time. Who came before me? What? How much power? Am I increasing in power? Are we progressing? Now that we live in this capitalist hell world, That linear time is imposed on all of us. We're all thinking about our deaths. We're all thinking about, like, history and the death and birth of nations and shit, even though who gives a shit, while our personal lives are still the death cycle, the the cycle of fucking work, which he calls, which uh, Debord calls pseudo-cyclical time. Like, this imposed cyclical time of, like, the weekend and work is what we're stuck in. Um uh, I'm going to read uh, number 150 is the thesis. Pseudo-cyclical time is the time of consumption of modern economic survival, of increased survival, where daily life continues to be deprived of decision and remains bound, no longer to the natural order, but to the pseudo-nature developed in alienated labor. And thus, this time naturally reestablishes the ancient cyclical rhythm which regulated the survival of pre-industrial societies. Pseudo-cyclical time leans on the natural remains of cyclical time and also uses it to compose new homologous combinations, day and night, 
work and weekly rest, the recurrence of vacations. I think the key thing there is our alienated labor and our creation of commodities is what traps us in this cyclical, cyclical time. So I think, you know, this dude, he even says, Antlers draws a circle for us. He says, I tend to do one for them so I can do Mm -hmm. one for me. But we see him in his house doing the one for him and he's pretty miserable even then. So, and there's also like other things that kind of, uh, draw to this like she's like this is the thing of a lifetime and he's like hopefully not my lifetime so he's thinking linearly also and so i think he you know he gets the footage of it and suddenly he realizes all he's done is produce another commodity and he's then he this is the one for him now he has to go back and do one for them and he doesn't know how to stop it other than to be like, this isn't a commodity. I actually care about this. I'm just fucking going for it. This won't be a commodity. This will be mine. I'm getting out of this pseudo cyclical time of fucking capitalism and escaping. And he does. He doesn't bring mm. anyone else, one else with him, but he does escape it, which is kind of yeah. nice. I mean, I didn't read that much stuff into it. I just read it as, you know, getting a shot of it isn't necessarily an impossible shot. The possible shot is, getting a shot of it that's beautiful to look at um that's you know the lighting's perfect the framing's perfect that's an impossible shot oh, yeah and he's spends his life looking for an impossible shot and he's not he's he's fine with uh spending his life to get the impossible shot and well put he does say the dream you're chasing the one you end up on the t- where you end up on the top of the mountain it's the dream you never wake up from he does you can't wake up from the dream because mm-hmm. you have to go all the way. And I also think it's kind of an impossible shot because, like, the camera can't survive yeah. this. He has to know it. It has to be a shot just for him, which is kind of beautiful. It's not – it's no longer – if you produce a table for your friends or for yourself, it's not a commodity mm-hmm. because it's not being sold. It's not meant for this market. And so, he's suddenly doing something for yeah. himself. He's breaking out of the capitalist yeah. cycle. You'll- yeah, nobody will know he got the shot except for him while he's dying. But that's enough for him. That's that's where at least in, where he thinks he'll find you know a, a peace is just the knowledge that he got the shot. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows it. Hell yeah. Um, what did he say? I forgot. Yeah. What did he say to Angel like uh, before he walks away? Like you don't deserve impossible. <laughs> Uh, he said, it's going to be all right. We don't deserve the impossible. Did he say we right. don't deserve or you don't deserve? We. Okay. I thought he said you don't deserve, <laughs> <laughs> which was like very flipping like, insulting, everybody off but also dies. kind of like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, like, uh, like, yeah, very insulting, but also, you know, true in the sense of like, you're not on the same, same wavelength that I'm on. <laughs> but then she gets the impossible shot. Yeah. <laughs> Which with that well camera that I really doubt would have worked that well, I, but whatever. I yeah. am really like I watched him set this thing up and I saw the IMAX film in there and I'm like, you know what would fucking rule? An IMAX documentary about UFOs. I would I would oh. go watch that movie. I would go watch it like an hour and a half of fluff for that. That shot of the IMAX UFO—that'd be great. I would, that sounds wonderful. Oh, that sounds yeah. sick. If any movie studios are listening, we're willing to make that movie. Yeah, I will go <laughs> just sit in the dark and just film the sky. 
It's all your expensive <laughs> film. Don't even worry. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, I got no more uh, Society of the Spectacle shit. Y'all have anything else we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about? I have a few little things. Is there any like big thing, Barto, you wanted to bring up? Um, I don't think so. I think that was like that was it. Uh, it just occurred to me. Um, that kind of makes me think of uh, a poem by one of my favorite poems by Ryder Kipling, um, Conundrum of the Workshops, uh, where it's all about you know an artist constantly questioning himself. Uh, you know, every stanza whatever the fucking correct terminology is ends with like, you know, whispering to himself, what, but, but is it art? It talks about creating art, but then he, the artist constantly questions himself, but is it art? So I kind of think of, um, antlers as someone who's just, you know, that's just the common thing among artists is, you know, uh, question yourself whether or not what you created is actually, is really art. And so you kind of think of antlers as question yourself, is it art? Is it art? And this, you know, it definitely is art. Uh, totally. Because he's doing it completely divorced from uh, uh, any uh, commodity aspect of it. Totally. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know, just some little things. Um, uh, the music and the needle drops in this were were great. Um, and I just love that, uh, you know, he puts on Walk On By by Dion Warwick. Um and then uh, later to play Fisherman by the Congos. Uh, oh yeah, fucking that was great. Um, the score was great. It, it uh, um, there's like some heavy hints of Morricone. Uh, um, his his spaghetti western soundtracks, especially the the last song that it closes with, um, even has like some of the from the the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, soundtrack to the point where I was like looking up like wait is this from the good the bad and the ugly and it's like no he just was heavily influenced by that uh but yeah the music's great um and angel has great taste in music as he's constantly wearing yeah. shirts of of different bands um jesus lizard earth wipers but anyways that that's just a little rage against I the machine what rage against the machine rage against the machine um uh, I liked how they bring up that the taming of Jean Jacket when she was supposed to tame Jean Jacket, but then he did it instead. That was for the Scorpion King, and then the end. He at the end when they do the thing to get the perfect picture, he puts on his Scorpion King's jacket. So I thought that was a really cool connection. Um, I think it's kind of also talking about legacy interesting that like comparing the scorpion king to like their family being the birth part of the birth of cinema and you have this like trash cgi mess yeah. movie it's just kind of an interesting yeah what where he's where we aware come. he's even aware of that because she's like um and, and we had to use the horse for a western movie we booked and he's like it wasn't a western it was the scorpion king. yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> Which I saw in theaters and quite liked as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I remember your dad really liked Scorpion King. Oh, yeah. Uh, if my dad can turn his brain off, he likes the movie. <laughs> um, I was kind of confused by the um, the cards, of the, the intertidal cards of the different animals that came up. I was 
wondering if maybe the horse names that came up, if those were the ones that were being fed that day. No, I guess because when Ghost came up, he wasn't being fed. Never mind. It, was, um, it wasn't being fed. It was um, when it was Ghost, it was Ghost was eaten, but it wasn't like being fed. He was running okay. off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a little, I kept trying to figure out because like, it was Ghost and Clover who were both eaten, then Gordy who was eaten by a fucking shotgun in the head after being exploded, uh, or after being exploited, and Jean Jacket who was killed, but Lucky was one of them, and Lucky never died. But Lucky um, was supposed to be, though. Yes. Just, so I think that so, still fits enough. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I kept trying to think if there was something that was saying, and I think it's just trying to tie. They're all being used, and they're all mm. being used up. Yeah. Except for Lucky. Um, Cause she's like the lucky that. one. Weird. Lucky didn't die. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I like that. I just didn't fully understand it. Um, I liked that the um, in their house uh, when they're discussing their their ultimate plan to get the picture behind them. There's a uh, poster for um, the movie Buck and the Preacher, which is a uh, western directed by and starring. Um, Sidney Poitier and uh, also starring uh, Harry Belafonte so it was like a black western a very rare mm. kind of black western um, and I just cool. kind of appreciated that little detail that being thrown in there and you also have to imagine that uh, their family provided the horses for that movie um, and that's just uh, it's a really cool neat detail oh, that nice. probably people didn't really pick up on smart I also uh Sorry, that just reminded me that the idea that, like, they're inserting, you know, this real thing where that's the first footage ever, but really their family was behind it and we don't know that is really tied into the idea of, I mean, first of all, it's, like, interesting that I'll bet a ton of people have never thought who's the guy riding the horse, right? Yeah, Who know about that footage. Yeah, right? Um, But it's also kind of ties to the idea of commodity fetishism. We don't think about the labor put into it. We just think about the image, you know? Yeah. Another thing about that is that that was, like, funded by a rich uh, ex-governor of, I forgot what state, California, maybe. Um, Like, he was obsessed with proving that horses didn't have, that when they were at full gallop, they didn't have all their um, feet on the ground. Uh, So, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting that the person writing it was uh, uh, an unknown black dude but the guy who's put it all together is just I don't know there's yeah. nothing there it's just a interesting no, totally. kind of relations there we know the motivations of the guy who paid for it but we had never yeah, talked right. about who rode the horse yeah totally yeah I guess that's it alright well y'all want to do some awards yeah Yes. alright dumb cop of the week oh by the way no cops in this movie at all which I appreciated yeah. thank you Jordan Peele yeah. well no because it makes our job a lot more difficult. It does. <laughs> True. <laughs> we'll manage. Who who's got one? The fucking guy, like the the manager at the the commercial shoot for just not listening to anybody around him and uh charging ahead totally uh with without giving a shit. Hell yeah. Well I don't well he's the in- I guess, in, as we discussed, he's kind of the antagonist. I don't think he was necessarily like he himself wasn't his was a bad person, really. Um, uh, but Jupe, I would say, this dumb cop for 
uh, just thinking he could tame this creature and it would bend to his will and just being so willing to put other people in the danger because he's just assured that he has control over the situation and um, yeah, has no real concerns for the other people around him. Uh, totally. That That's a, that's a cop move. I am a- and for not knowing that he, like not recognizing signs of trauma, like if he was a mm-hmm. cop he would think every time he thought back to Gordy that he there was fentanyl nearby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are great answers. Mine was the TMZ guy because he was just such a whiny little shit. Yeah, yeah, good answer. And he's such uh, a cryptic asshole too. Uh, before he was a whiny shit. <laughs> uh, okay, Praxis Award. Uh, I did Angel stealing from Fries. Mm. Wait, did he steal from Fries? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like shoving the equipment into a car real quick, and I think an alarm's going off. It's pretty clear he's stealing. For some reason, I think that I completely didn't notice that, or it just went right in my brain and out the other side because I was spectacled by something else. (laughs) Um, I will say... um, what was the actress's name? Mary Jo? Mary Jo Elliott, I think. Yeah. Um, if she was the, the the young girl in the show, I would say her for giving the chimpanzee the, the biggest and best present. <laughs> uh, Gordy, the biggest and best present. Uh, My second answer is uh, antlers for having what I like to call art praxis <laughs> and um, seeing through with artistic praxis. Hell I respect yeah. that. Which Peel, oh sorry, which Peel did not have as evidenced by him not using a real chimpanzee because the <laughs> law forbids it. Yeah, because of laws. I, I mean, it's maybe a cop out. This is probably a cop out answer. But I gotta go with OJ for just being calm, calm, cool, collected, under pressure, making sure that the people he cared about were safe and all right. I mean, also, oh, good. I just say, also with him, he went to save the TMZ guy, even though it was completely uh, that's true, uh, destroying oh, yeah. their plans and putting himself in danger. He's he was also the the most naturally uh, not bedazzled by the spectacle. Like he was mm-hmm. the one who uh, couldn't do the big performance and who knew not to look it in the eye and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Favorite shots. So many, dude. This film, man. Film is so much better than digital. It's so they oh, did yeah. such a good job. So many good night shots that you just don't get anymore. Like just beautiful blue night shots the, where you can really see. I read about how they did that. It, I man, I forget now because it, it's been a while. But like they did something absolutely fucking crazy to make those night shots happening, and it's worth like it. Just Google. Uh, nope night shots because it, it's completely unreal all, all the work they did to achieve that an account i followed just posted a picture of it last night and i was like and it came up on my feed and it just was so perfect uh, yeah it was a picture of like the house like alone in the night with like a big ass fucking light above it and just uh but i don't know it, it's just incredible you sure that wasn't no gods i retweeted that last yeah. night <laughs> oh did you yeah yeah 
but there there's um something to do with I forget exactly what it was, but yeah, it d- doesn't matter. We'll look up how they did the night shots, and you'll you'll be impressed. Hell yeah! I I I would say the scene where the Jean Jacket is just raining blood on the house. Yeah, so striking and impressive, and hell yeah, very 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 cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, another one is in that in the very beginning when um, Ghost has it's just a shot of Ghost with a key sticking in, in them, and mm. I like that. It was like really educational because I didn't know that horses. Um, I always assumed that they were an organic uh, mode of transportation. So that was like really cool to realize that they're actually mechanical. Um, so it was, it was a very cool shot and very educational. Yeah. Um, yeah. The house in, in blood. Uh, um, when, when um, I think it's like right after that attack and, OJ's looking at the house and it's like an over the shoulder shot of him and and there's just like all this kind of like fog around but the sun kind of peeping through and it's just Mm. a really really gorgeous shot hell yeah this one is obvious but uh when OJ is riding fast with his hood up and there's the wide shot and then Jean Jacket swoops down and it then like goes sideways like fucking awesome any of the ones where Jean Jacket is huge were really cool too like when it was sprawled out um a little more simple, but I liked the early on when they're driving back from the set after being fired and there's a shot of like the car window and you can see Emerald behind it leaning against it and you can see in the reflection like all of the, the yeah. Skydancer things. Just mm-hmm. a really well composed shot and like just it's like you're visiting there for the first place or first time and you get kind of all the tones and colors. It's nice. One other shot, and I meant to bring this up earlier when we were talking about legacies and stuff like that, but I thought it was really beautiful that we had this hand-cranked camera photographing <laughs> a black man riding a horse Oh, at the nice. end of that, and I thought, Hell that yeah. occurred to me. That's, that's really so, fucking yeah, clever. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know if it was the most beautiful shot in the movie, but I thought it was a really cool thing to be like, he yeah. is... He is like living this legacy and he is Smart. successfully doing mm-hmm. it. And I meant to bring that up earlier. I'm throwing it in there now. I got to say, it's crazy. We've talked about this longer than we talk about most movies and there's so much we miss. Like there's so much to this movie on a second watch through. Like the fact that the opening, when you're seeing the shot of the guy on the horse, the my, my bridge or whatever footage, it's like coming through what looks like an old camera, but you later know that's like the eye or mouth or whatever of, um, of uh jean jacket oh. and like there's just so many cool th- like and jean jacket looks like a camera kind of like one of those old-fashioned cameras that yes. you put the hood on when it goes yeah, to its full yeah. like there he fucking went hard like this like get out is a very tight movie that had like a singular purpose that it perfectly freaking orchestrated and this one he somehow almost did that tightness but with so much it's really mm-hmm. cool yeah um, I want to add on to what you were just saying, Barto, about him reliving the legacy. He's also reliving it because that original person riding the horse, they're completely forgotten besides this one family that's like, oh, yeah, that was us. And this footage of this him riding this horse to get, you know, the shot of this alien and, and you know, 
uh, this creature, like that's also going to be forgotten because the footage is being eaten up, and yeah, it, that, that's also all going to be yep. forgotten and just told told among his family, uh, probably. And yeah, totally. All right, how y'all want to rate this thing? Five out of five big jellyfishes in the sky. Hell yeah! One of one of the best ufo movies of all time for sure going into this i was thinking i was gonna give it a four after our discussion um yeah i'm gonna have to go 4.5 children in alien costumes mauled to death by a chimpanzee named gordy damn uh yeah, I don't, uh, I'm going to go four, 4.5 out of 5, too. Um, I don't know what to describe it as, but I was, for some reason, so ready for y'all to not like this movie, and it was a it was a delight that y'all were so stoked on it. So, fuck yeah. I'm glad we had this awesome discussion. Uh, I feel like I told you before I liked it, um, but that's awesome you didn't remember. Uh, <laughs> I didn't remember. <laughs> um, I think the one I remember talking about was Us, which I really liked, and you didn't, so that maybe is what mm-hmm. stuck. Um Cool. Anything else before I close it out? Nah, dude. Let's go. Sweet. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week or next time, Jesus Christ, for uh, King Kong Lives. Uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can give us five stars. You can give us four and a half stars. Give us whatever you want, but just put a little rating in there. That'd be nice. We'd love that. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky at No God's Pod. You can email us, No God's Pod at gmail.com and if you want to support the show uh find a fries near you and see what you can get